Let's get it. Wednesday, May 22nd, 2019. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. I did. However, it was a busy week, and it was a busy weekend, let me tell you. Uh, did some bonding with the wife and the in-laws, uh, but didn't really get a chance to, to stop and reflect on the previous week, which was a great week for the podcast. I didn't get much time to reflect, but I did get a chance to see some of the comments on RallyPoint and uh, blogs.va.gov concerning last week's episode. And I can tell you, one, thank you for all the feedback, but two... Jan did not start his career in professional wrestling through the VA. That's uh, that's that's not a thing. The the VA isn't gonna send you to a wrestling school to take chair shots to the head. That that's just not gonna happen. What you can do is listen to last week's episode and listen to the part where Jan talks about joining a wrestling school before he even joined the army. So, if you are interested in getting into professional wrestling, I would say take the route that he took. And join up and, and start taking classes. Also, last week, we had a couple of good reviews that you guys sent in. This one is from L. Reese. Awesome podcast with impressive and inspiring guest. Tanner rocks it. <laughs> Thank you very much. As he brings stories by and for veterans along with information on valuable VA benefits slash resources. L. Reese is a uh, an old friend, and I really appreciate that, L. Reese. I hope you're having a great time down there in Florida. The next one is from Twin Daddy 5 I do not know Twin Daddy, but it, he said the right stuff. It's cool to hear about veterans who successfully made the transition into civilian life. I hope some veterans who are challenged by their own transitions are inspired by what they hear from this podcast and find a successful plan to civilian life. Keep up the good work. CBs can do. Hoo-yah. Twin Daddy, I am. that's what I'm trying to do, man. I really appreciate the uh, feedback there. And Twin Daddy, if you did not see, we did do a recent episode on a CB. Actually, my intern did, Zach, on Joseph Pennington. That is one of the recent episodes in the archive. And Twin Daddy, as a CB, he represented you guys well. So with that being said, we are at 73. That's right, 73 ratings and reviews. You know what that means. Once we get to 75 ratings and reviews, I will release... A snippet of the Adrian Cronauer of Good Morning Vietnam fame interviewing legendary producer, director, actor, comedian Mel Brooks. Uh, this was done before Adrian Cronauer's death, obviously. And it's a hilarious interview where he spent time interviewing Mel Brooks about Mel Brooks's military service. And this interview has never been released before. It was dropped in my lap shortly after I took over the podcast. And because I want to make this show better, I totally held it for ransom. Still have it. And I'm looking for 100 ratings and reviews. But I will release a snippet, hopefully next week, once we get to 75. Two news releases last week. Actually, it was one, but I missed one last week. So I wanted to revisit that because it might save you some money. For immediate release. VA Home Loan Guarantee Program notifies veterans of potential loan fee waivers. See, huh? Saving some money. 
The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced on May 13th that veterans who qualify for a VA home loan funding fee waiver are now being notified in their home loan eligibility certificate and disability compensation award letter. I'm assuming this is because of some feedback. The recent change to the Home Loan Guarantee Program aims to provide benefits delivery to veteran home buyers. This is from VA Secretary Robert Wilkie. Through an internal quality improvement effort, VA has put a plan in place to better inform veterans through key communications when the law allows VA to waive the fee for a veteran. VA also modified the Home Loan Welcome Letter to make sure veterans know that they may qualify for a loan fee waiver should they later obtain a VA Disability Compensation Award. Historically, VA tasked lenders with verifying the exempt status of veteran home buyers, and the department would identify waiver cases using its own internal loan audit process or by relying on veterans contacting the VA directly. Further internal procedure changes will provide a more regular view of the program data, and VA will soon issue policy and procedural changes to ensure a veteran's up-to-date status for the fee waiver is correctly identified. And then it goes on, and then it says, more information about the VA funding fees and refunds is available in VA's lender's handbook. You can Google that, and it's the second one down. Veterans who think they may be eligible for a refund should visit the VA's website at www.benefits.va.gov forward slash home loans forward slash purchase, P-U-R-C-H-A-S-E-C-O underscore loan underscore fee ASP. The second press release is concerning Memorial Day ceremonies at VA National Cemeteries. It says, for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs National Cemetery Administration will host Memorial Day ceremonies from May 25th to May 27th to commemorate the nation's fallen service members. At VA, we honor those who made the ultimate sacrifice by providing them with a perpetual memorial in our national cemeteries, said VA Secretary Robert Wilkie. And we also care for their survivors, whether during war or peacetime. It is a profound and personal commitment to every one of us here at VA. Then it goes on and then it says, Memorial Day, formerly known as Decoration Day, was first enacted to honor troops who died in the Civil War. It was extended after World War I to honor all deceased veterans. NCA maintains approximately 4.7 million grave sites at 136 national cemeteries and 33 soldiers' lots and monument sites in 40 states and Puerto Rico. Then it goes on and talks about NCA's partnership with Carry the Load, which we have been talking about for the last month. And the last national cemetery that Carry the Load will be visiting will be on the Midwest route today at Omaha National Cemetery at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. Going back to Memorial Day, a complete list of events at national cemeteries can be found at www.cem.va.gov forward slash CEM forward slash ceremony forward slash 2019 underscore memorial underscore day dot ASP. We are still in May and it is still the VA's observance of mental health month. In observance of Mental Health Month, VA launched a new campaign called The Moment When in recognition of the resilience of those who have served our country to honor their sacrifices and to learn and be inspired by their amazing stories. Mental Health Month is also an opportunity to build awareness of mental health challenges and treatment options and to let people know that recovery is possible. 
This campaign is part of our Make the Connection program, where nearly 500 veterans have shared their stories of strength and recovery. Make the Connection also features a resource locator where veterans, their family, and their friends can find local support. To learn more, visit www.maketheconnection.net forward slash MHM. All right. So also another big news this week is that today, May 22nd, the Fisher House Foundation is opening two new houses at the James J. Peters VA Medical Center in the Bronx. For those that don't know, the Fisher House Foundation is to the military and veteran uh, communities as the Ronald McDonald Houses are to the children's health community. They provide no-cost lodging for veteran family members during the recoveries and rehabilitation, and it's it's really a great nonprofit. And they've partnered with the DOD and the VA for over 70-plus houses to be near their medical centers. What's significant about the Bronx VA Medical Center is that it's the regional center of excellence for a lot of studies to include exoskeleton research. So these two Fisher houses will hopefully allow veterans with spinal injuries to come from farther distances to help with this type of research that can eventually help millions of people. And that's really, really cool. Uh, So today's guest was the very first hired employee of the Fisher House Foundation, and he's also their current president. So without further ado, I bring to you Army veteran, Dave Coker. So from what I understand, Dave, your family has uh, an extensive military history. I I grew up a military brat. it was it was the, the the life I knew and and when it came came time to to choose a college and how I was going to pay for it, ROTC scholarships were a wonderful thing, and uh, in fact uh, both of my brothers also uh, were on scholarship, and uh, throughout my career, uh, always had great assignments, always worked with the best people. And uh, it is one of the greatest privileges I've ever had. If you count my dad, uh, who served in World War II, uh, was called back for Korea and then served through Vietnam, uh, we've got nearly 120 years of of service. Oh, wow. All in the Army. So that's why I speak slowly. Well, I mean, you didn't eat crayons like we do in the Marine Corps. We just never admitted it. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Did your family history... Is that the reason you joined? Was that, was that the, one of the main reasons? You know, the it, it was a lifestyle I was familiar with. Um, and, and as I looked at opportunities, of course, having the, the funds to, to, to go to school was a significant thing because nobody gets rich, especially when you have six kids. And uh, uh, my folks said, you know, we we need you to go out and, and, and get some help. And so through the scholarship, that meant I had a commitment to pay back. Yeah. And and what I found was that I loved the life and it was a great career. Total of uh, how many years? Well, I took an early retirement at 15. Uh, I, I retired from the Army in 94. I had just gotten my master's in healthcare through the Army Baylor program. And as they looked at uh, healthcare back then, it was changing. We were going to manage care. We were in many ways 
giving the leadership decisions in my mind about military health care to the civilian agencies being created to help us deal with managed care. Gotcha. And so having a master's and with the, the companies being formed, I thought, you know, this is probably a good time to, to, to transition because they're hiring. Uh, and so I put in my retirement papers and it was during that process as I was getting my resume together that I learned there was an opportunity with Fisher House. Hmm. And that was something I had volunteered with uh, and and that also has a, a family connection. I was a young captain serving in Germany when I learned my, my mother had cancer. Oh, wow. And my dad had uh, been in the, initially he was in the infantry in World War II. In the 50s, he transitioned to the Medical Service Corps. And in his service, uh, he had worked with General Lou Malone, who was then commanding Walter Reed. Well, my father called General Malone and, and said, Lou, Virginia's got cancer. I'd really like to get a second opinion. Who's got the best program? And General Malone said, well, we do. Walter Reed's the best. And he said, there's just one condition. You're going to stay with me. And he opened up his quarters to my folks at a wow. time when. How did they how did they know each other? Uh, General Malone had worked for my father. Uh, my father had been chief of staff of the uh, 7th Medcom in, in Europe. OK. And uh, General Malone was then Colonel Malone ah. and was the surgical consultant. Roger. Gotcha. So he opened up his house. He opened his house to my folks so that they would be in a home environment. And I know how much that meant to them. Uh, didn't know the, the full story until a couple of years later, but uh, they had gotten a pretty dismal prognosis. Hmm. And they came back and, and that was confirmed. But being in a home environment with people who loved you and cared for you while you're dealing with those stresses... It just meant the world to him. And so when Fisher House came about, it, it, it struck me that, you know, this is an opportunity to, to give back yeah. and to give people that same opportunity, but they don't have to be fortunate enough to know the general. Yeah, right, right. Um, I, I personally, with the Fisher House, when, when uh, your, your office contacted us uh, for the show, I immediately jumped on it because I remember my experience with Bethesda. Uh, they had us give us, when we were combat camera, they had us give us a tour of, of the Fisher House in Bethesda. And that was probably, that was right in the middle of, the, of, of OIF. So, I mean, it was, it was a very full place, but you could tell that the, um, the great work that, that uh, Fisher House does for families that, that couldn't afford to come there to see their kids any otherwise. Well, you know, when you get that phone call and you learn that a loved one is wounded, ill, or injured, you want two things. You want the best medical care possible, and you want to be there. Yeah. While the VA and military health systems are two of the best in the world, and they provide world-class health care, having a place where a family can stay is a little bit more of a challenge. And that's where we come in. We're very proud to be able to partner with both the military and the VA. It's, uh, you know... Everything they're authorized to do, they do a great job of. 
but what they're authorized to do and what a family's needs are can be two different things. And so we focus at Fisher House Foundation on on programs that are going to fill that gap sure. and support the, the family during uh, their challenges. So I'm, I'm familiar with your partnership with the military. You, you are you is the Fisher House also near VA medical facilities as well? Oh, that's our that's our, that's our sweet spot right now. Oh, okay. That's, that, that's uh, where the growth is. Wow. Uh, you know, if you think about the VA healthcare system, uh, there, there are roughly 145 different medical centers. Uh, we're at about 40 of them. Oh, wow. And, and uh, you know, the program, Fisher House program began back in 1990. Yeah. And, and it was something designed in peacetime, but has proven invaluable in war. We weren't there for those who served in Vietnam or Korea or World War II. But when we built a VA medical center, we're able to support those categories of patients and those heroes. Even though we weren't there when they were fighting their wars, we can be there with them and supporting their families when life happens to them. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So Fisher House started in 90. You started there in 94. You were there almost... You're there pretty early in the, in the formation of the whole Fisher House. Well, when, when Zach started the program, and, and, and it's called Fisher House because a man by the name of Zach Fisher, together with his wife, Elizabeth, went to the chief of naval operations. And he said, you know, sir, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to do something that would not only bless the Navy, but bless all the services. What do you need? And uh, Admiral Trost uh, got his staff together and said, you know, what do, I, what do I tell Mr. Fisher? And being a good leader, he also went home and told his wife, <laughs> and he, <laughs> Pauline Trost, and said, honey, what, what do I tell this guy? And she remembered a helicopter, a medevac helicopter landing at, at Bethesda, uh, at that time the National Naval Medical Center. And she saw the, the, the gurney come out. And then she saw the family come out with suitcases and, and her mind went to, my gosh, in D.C., where's that family going to stay? Yeah. And, and so she had been working, as I understand, uh, with the local wives club and they had wanted to, to buy a house in the neighborhood nearby where families could, could have a place to stay. And, you know, short story, they told Zach, we need something like a Ronald McDonald house. And Zach said... I'm a builder. I can do that. And and it's called Fisher House because Zach wrote a personal check for the first 20 plus houses. And he proved the value of the program. Wow. And and as he was building the houses, his friend said, you know, this is getting to be not only something special, but something bigger than than just you and Elizabeth. And so that's when he created the foundation. And I had the privilege of being the first employee some 25 years ago. Employee number one. Employee number one. Dave I Coker. can I can remember that. <laughs> wow. For the first year or so, I was the only employee. So proofreading was not the best, <laughs> um, but it, it it has been one one heck of a ride and and the greatest blessing and privilege I've ever had. Wow. I want to backtrack a little bit to your to your military service. Who was your greatest mentor while you were in? The military or best friend oh gosh uh there were so many in in terms of mentors um of course my father and 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 uh, he had such a great career and such a great attitude um sounds like he was a big influence on your life he, oh yeah yeah it's good 
good man. He's now 98. He's still going. Uh, oh, he's still going. And, and, and last year, he's slowing down. But last year, I took him out and he, he played golf with me in one of our, our, our golf tournaments. You're kidding me. Uh, and we used way too many of his shots. Uh, <laughs> but, but in addition to my dad, who, who guided me early in my career, uh, I, I think of uh, Colonel Bob Austin. Uh He was a, a medevac pilot. A uh, very humble man. His name was Awesome? Awesome. A A S E N. Okay. Close. Okay. Close. <laughs> I was like, that's uh, a heck of a name. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know, he is someone who gave very practical advice. Uh, I also think of uh, Colonel Leroy Barber. Uh, who who was a, both of these were deputy commanders for administration at hospitals I, I worked at. Uh, and they showed the importance of uh, being in touch with the line element. You know, the, the, the Army Medical Department's combat service support. But if you don't speak the same language and if you don't understand the challenges of the line, you can't provide good service. And then within an organization, uh, how to deal with challenges and disagreements. You know, you can fire off a, a memo and, and be in a situation uh, where it, it's easy to say, I've made this decision and here's the piece of paper to prove it. Mm. Or you can go and talk with them and see them face to face and say, this is my decision and this is why I'm, I'm making it. And if you show respect to them and how you deal with it and not just rule on high, so to speak, sure, it just brings them along. They, they still may not like the decision, but they'll respect the fact that you came over and told them in person. And that's something that, that I've not only carried through my military career, but has served me well at, at, through Fisher House. That's great. So you mentioned medical a lot when, you, when you're talking about your military career. Is that, was that your military occupational specialty? What? Yes. I, I started out as a 67 Bravo uh, field medical officer. My first assignment was with the 1st of the 12th Infantry out at Fort Carson. And, and one of the unique things is I have a twin brother. And my twin brother also is Medical Service Corps. And so I went to my first assignment and I showed up at Fort Carson and gave them my orders. And they said, huh, Lieutenant Coker, David, uh, we're expecting Lieutenant Coker, Dennis. <laughs> And my twin brother was assigned down at Fort Did you guys Hood. go through like boot camp and stuff at the same time? Oh, like, we, we don't look anything. We, we did go through basic course at the same time. Oh, and, wow. and we don't look anything alike. He's a little bit shorter, a lot better looking. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, you know, they, they called Branch and they said, okay, what do we do? They have orders, but we've got different orders. And they said, well, they're both 67 Bravo. Keep the one you got. <laughs> And, and it, it worked well. And, and my twin brother was actually assigned to Fort Hood with my older brother. Wow. Who's also was also a twin. We had two sets of twins in the family. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so it was uh, it, it, it all worked out in the end. All boys? Uh, no, we've got three boys, three girls. Wow. That, that's a full household. 
That is a full house. And I commend your, your, your mother and your father Bless as, her. as a military <laughs> career and, and, uh, uh, your father was a military careerist and having to, having to have six oh. children. My God. But I, I went to Fort Carson, signed in, went to the first of the 12th infantry. And within a week I had gone from being a medical platoon leader to being the XO oh, wow. uh, as, as, of headquarters and headquarters company. Uh, simply because they figured, okay, uh, he's he's medical. He probably can write better than an infantry officer. <laughs> Simple qualification. Simple qualification. That's that's great. So you mentioned why you why you got out uh, and the reasons for the, the reason you got out. What was it like getting out in 1994? Uh, a lot of people I talk to, we talk about the transition that a lot of it's post 9/11 transition. You're one of the few I've talked to that had, has had a transition in the 90s. So what was that like job field wise? What was it like support wise? You know, it, it, it was interesting. Uh, as I look back, I had made the decision to accept the early retirement and I was right on that bubble. I could have taken the, the separation bonus or select an early retirement. And, and I chose the early retirement because of the other benefits it would offer. Uh, in addition, as, as part of that legislation, working for a nonprofit, uh, you also get, would get credit for service if you worked for a nonprofit or were a teacher. And, and so when, when I turn age 62, I'll get credit for 20 years service. Oh, great. And it, it was just an unbelievable package. And I, I knew that by doing that, uh, that it would, it would open doors. Now, initially, I, I thought I would go work for one of those healthcare management companies. Uh, but as I was uh, ending my career, uh, I had gotten involved in the local Fisher House at Fitzsimmons. Hmm. And I had created a local nonprofit to help. I, I went and asked, and because of the history, uh, and my belief in what they did and the impact it could have, I asked the chief of staff if I could be the point person for it. And he said, knock yourself out. And, and uh, I created a local nonprofit, which oddly enough was called Fisher House Foundation. And a few months later, I got a call from New York, and it was Mr. Fisher's folks, and they were saying, huh, Fisher House Foundation like the sound of that nice ring to it <laughs> <laughs> and i said you know what i will change the name of my organization and uh be 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 glad to become the friends of the fisher house of fitzsimmons and and that way people won't be confused well a couple of weeks later they sent out a letter letting me know and letting everyone know that they were creating the foundation and and please don't choose a name for your local support group that could be confusing. And, oh, by the way, we're looking for somebody to work at the National Foundation. And so that was my introduction to, to apply, put my resume together. And, you know, as I look back at it, it's, it's, it's really one of those God things. I never mm. knew the opportunity was going to be there. Yeah. But when it presented itself, I never hesitated. Just jump, you just jumped right on it. It, it, yes, it, it was it was one of those things as as the door to my military career was closing, this opportunity presented itself. And, you know, the, the thing I appreciate most, uh, you know, being retired military, 
you're always going to be a part of the military family. But yep. being a part of Fisher House, I get to still contribute. And and uh, I, I get to have an impact on, on the quality of life of the men and women that I had the privilege of serving with. Mm-hmm. And so many that I have only met since. You're also a board member of two other charities as well? I, I have been. I have, have been. been. As, as uh, you go through, uh, and there's been a lot of evolution in the nonprofit industry as well, and, and the combined federal campaign. Um, it, it, the best way to participate and to make yourself known, at Fisher House, we tend to be a best-kept secret. And so you're always looking for ways about how people can 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 find you. And yeah, because, you know, a lot of my military friends, of course, know Fisher House. I go back home uh, to Washington State. Hey, yeah, Fisher. Well, what's that? They, it's all, they know the Ronald McDonald houses. They don't know the Fisher House. And, and we use that analogy all the time. If you think about what Ronald McDonald houses do for the families of children, enabling for them to be together during a time of crisis, we do the same thing, but instead of focusing on children, we build houses and give them as a gift to military and VA facilities. And, and we're grateful that the, the VA and the military uh, operate and the way they maintain these houses gives us the security in knowing we can then go and bless the next community and continue to let the program grow nice. and flourish. It's a, it's a great foundation. It really is. But we, uh, you know, as, as we uh, go about, it, it is such a, a, a unique partnership because the military and the VA wouldn't build the facilities the way we do. Zach always said, the people who stay in these houses are my guests, and so they'll be kept to my standard. And so the the homes are typically upscale. When you walk through the door, you know that there are others who appreciate your service, honor that service, and want to help you in in your time of need. And and hopefully it's a situation where you're going to inhale twice because you know life's going to beat you down a little because you are going through a medical crisis. Yeah. What What are some future plans for Fisher House? What are some of the things you guys got in the cooker? Oh gosh, uh, you know there's there there are a lot of opportunities out there. At the heart of what we do is always the, the houses and building more houses. Uh, we've got seven houses under construction now. We've got eighty two houses in the network. Uh, soon that will how many? Eighty two. Eighty two. Eighty two. We've got two over in Germany at Landstuhl, and and. Uh, one of the great accomplishments in my mind, we opened up the the first house in Landstuhl in June of 2001, weeks before 9-11. Oh, wow. And when 9-11 happened, we knew they would need a second house. Yeah. And, and that's something that came about with my life as a, a military brat. When I was in high school, I had surgery at Landstuhl. And so I knew the role that it had played and for for families stationed overseas. Hmm. At the same time, we had been through the embassy bombings in Africa, and we had been through the USS Cole, and all those casualties went through Lonstool. So, you know, that was the impetus for building the house there, but the timing of it. 
you know, to have it open weeks before 9-11 is, is, is another one of those things I, I just call a, a God thing. Yeah, absolutely. You have two opening soon, correct? We have two that uh, we will dedicate coming up the end of May. And those two are at the Bronx, at the James J. Peters VA Medical Center. And that one is, those are special for, for many reasons. Uh, one, Ken Fisher, who has taken over the, the legacy of, of Zach and is, is our chairman and CEO. Uh, he grew up just a couple of miles away. So that's his hometown. Uh, gotcha. The other thing is those two houses will accommodate 32 families. And if you take a look at the savings, we, we always look at uh, what the government per diem is to estimate savings to families. Those two houses will save families $3 million a year over the cost of commercial lodging. And, That's and great. when you go and you tour some of the things they do there, they, they are doing research with exoskeletons. Mm. And, and, and so what you have is people who've been paralyzed who are learning to walk again. And, and as you go through that process, you have to be there on site to, to learn how you climb stairs, to get familiar with the equipment. And the only people who've been able to participate in the program to date are people who live close enough to the medical center to, to be there often enough to learn how to use it. When those houses are built, people will be able to come from greater distances. That's great, and and it will change their lives. And it's just neat to be a part of it. So you're not. You, it's not only open to the families. It's open to someone that is like in Kansas and wants to come to the Bronx well, and to to learn to walk again. It, yeah, the, you know, one of the 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 strengths of, of the military and VA health systems is the centers of excellence. And if you, you take a look at the, the polytrauma centers, you know, when, when uh, the, the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts began, uh, polytrauma was the signature wounds of those wars. Uh, at the beginning, there were four polytrauma centers uh, across the U.S., and then they added a fifth in San Antonio, Texas at the Audie Murphy VA. Hmm. And, and so the first thing we wanted to do was make sure we had houses at the polytrauma centers. And, and, you know, you look at spinal cord injury, you look at cancer care, you look at the care that they give for women now. There are centers of excellence, and, and you become centers of excellence because you have enough workload to become the best at at, at, at treating those conditions that workload re reading the experience that made that possible that means gotcha. you're bringing the patients to get the right care at the right place and that's where fisher house becomes so invaluable besides the current nonprofit that you run <laughs> um or have been a board member of what is another nonprofit that excites you with what they're doing oh gosh you know there there are a lot of great organizations out there doing good things you you learn that uh, you know when you start to be successful, you start thinking you can be all things to all people. Yeah, but that doesn't work so well. It dilutes what you can do. So we work with several nonprofits, and and uh, we've learned a, a a lot from the people who've graced our houses, and 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 we help them during a time when they're an acute crisis and when they're ready to leave our house 
you know, we're grateful to have had the opportunity to assist them, but we know there are other groups who are going to help them on that journey of recovery. Mm. And, and so, uh, we partner with a, a group called Homebase, who who the specialized uh, outpatient, it's intensive outpatient treatment up in Boston, but they're helping people who are readjusting, dealing with post traumatic stress. Oh wow! Uh, dealing with finding out how they can better cope with their transition back into society, and. Uh, the the challenge for them, similar to getting care at uh, a, a medical center, well, if you're providing intensive outpatient treatment, you need a place for families to stay. Otherwise, you're just treating people in that local that area. Local area. Yeah. And and the need and and uh, the ability to get the right care at the right place, we provide lodging. Uh, for, for people coming to participate in, in their program. Uh, and and there, there are a, a number. You, you have uh, TAPS, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, that does a wonderful job helping the survivors, not only the spouses, but the children. Yeah, we, uh, our, my previous uh, guest interviewed their president, and uh, in, in the archive section. So if, if any of our lessons are interested in TAPS, uh, there's an episode for that as, as well. A, a lot of great organizations. We don't need to be the solution. The, the goal is to collaborate in order to serve the people we're, we're so honored and, and privileged to be able to serve. Absolutely. Dave, is there anything that you'd like to add that I haven't asked that you think is important to share with our listeners? Oh gosh, you know, when you're when you're young and in the service, you're invincible. And and the number one thing for us is is awareness. And there are briefings, you know, hey, here's what you do, you're going to be deployed if you get hurt. Here are the resources to help. But you're not going to get hurt because you're invincible. And 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 you don't uh you don't think of those things. Your mind just doesn't go there. So the number one thing we want is is simply awareness so that when life does happen, you know that there's a resource. Hey, somebody told me about some sort of a house somewhere that helps military families. And so if you go to the Internet and you put down helping military families, Fisher House should be the first thing that pops up. You know, when when life happens, it, it may happen in your family. It may help happen in a friend's family. So to have an awareness and, you know, tell a friend about, hey, have you heard about Fisher House? Uh, there are so many times when, when I go out to the houses, and the greatest privilege is, is meeting the families who stay there. But in talking with them, you know, to hear the stories about how, you know, hey, I stopped by Walmart and bought a cot. I didn't know where I was going to stay. I was just going to find a corner, put up my cot. I had to be there. Uh, wow. I remember meeting uh, a young veteran in the Houston house. And, and as I greeted him, he said, you know, gee, Mr. Coker, I just want to thank you for saving my life. And I, I, I said, please tell me how. I, I don't get that every day. And he said, well, I was diagnosed with cancer and I was told I needed to come up here. I live several hours away, and I knew I couldn't afford to bring my wife, and I wasn't going to come here without her. Mm. 
And then I learned there was a Fisher house and I could bring her and, and there was no charge. So I, I could afford it. And I've been through the chemotherapy. And in fact, today I saw the doctor and he told me I was in remission. So I get to go home. And so to be able to be a part of something that not only impacts the quality of your life, but changes the decisions you make regarding the health care. And, and we couldn't do this without the support of the military and and the DO, well, DOD and the VA, the way they care for their houses. When we build these houses, we give them as a gift. The managers of these houses are either VA employees or DOD employees. Oh, wow. And they are our hands. They are our hearts. They are the experience. They play a key role in the experience the families have. And we just draw a certain kind of person who, who honors the vision we have, who cares for the families. Uh, it's it's really not a job. It's a passion. And, and, and so the one thing I want to do is give the managers the credit they deserve. You know, we... Uh, we care about what we do and how we do it. Mr. Fisher gives me a simple rule. Coker, do the right thing. And if you have any questions, you know, and you get past rule number one, go back to rule number one. <laughs> We're going to do the right thing. Uh, so it, it makes my job uh, easy. Sure, sure. <laughs> but but uh, the, the people who deserve so much credit are the managers. They're the moms and the dads of the houses. And and they not only have to uh, acclimate people and orient them. You know, you look at the stats. A person is with us for an average of nine days. And this year will probably help 34,000 families. The longest length of stay we've had is four years. Wow. And that's someone who had a... A, a circulatory problem and, and is now a, a quad amputee. Mm. And they're learning how to, to use prosthetics again. But it's been a long journey. And, and they could not have the quality of life they do if, if we didn't have the support and if we didn't have such a great partnership with both the VA and DOD. out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I would be talking, but I wasn't there with them. You just feel so alone. I still had the anger. I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that. Came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go to the VA, you're a veteran, see what they can do to help you. When you have family, friends, when you have the facilities like the VA and the vet center, it gives me, it gives others encouragement to keep moving forward. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people because it takes true strength to ask for help. Talking with, with other veterans was the best method for learning the roadmap to success. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. The best thing uh, a recovering veteran or military service member can have during rehab is their family there. 
and the Fisher House allows that to happen. They're a really great organization. So I want to thank Dave for coming on the show and talking about the foundation. Uh, for more information on Fisher House, you can find them at www.fisherhouse.org. So I'm going to call Audible on this week's this week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. Uh, I had one picked out myself, but then I saw this comment on our Carry the Load article on blogs.va.gov. It is from Jeffrey Holzbeck. I would like to nominate Army Staff Sergeant Todd Cornell from Wisconsin as a future veteran of the day. Todd is buried at Wood Cemetery in Milwaukee. The NCO Academy at Fort McCoy is also named after Todd. Thank you for your consideration. Again, this is from uh, Jeffrey R. Holzbeck, First Sergeant Retired, Todd's escort back in 2004. Now, the now this month's uh, Veterans of the Day were predetermined and pre-picked by Carry the Load. So I don't know if they're going to be able... So, Jeffrey, I don't know if they're going to be able to uh, honor your request this month. However... We can we here at Born the Battle can make him the veteran of the week, and I'd like to do that. Army Staff Sergeant Todd Cornell is from West Bend, Wisconsin. He was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 339th Infantry Regiment, Army Reserve, out of Fraser, Michigan, a 16-year veteran in the Army and Army Reserves. Todd was killed on November 9th, 2004, while acting in an advisory support capacity for an Iraqi unit, which was attacked in Fallujah, Iraq. Todd was buried at the Wood National Cemetery in Milwaukee. And like First Sergeant Holzbeck said, the NCO Academy at Fort McCoy is named in Todd's honor. We also honor Todd's service here at Born the Battle. That's it for this week's show. Again, you can always follow the VA on social media on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and of course the one I always forget, Rally Point. DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. You can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week. Next week.